Yeah, and I think that that is why the book was so hard to write because I was choosing to basically relive it again. You have seen Justin Bieber perform live on how many continents? Um, all but continents. <laughs> all but two. Yeah, and then my whole team got let go um, on April 1st. Worst April Fool's ever. Hey, welcome back to Burn the Ships. I'm Jordan Nations, and I am so excited for today's conversation with my friend, Adria King. Adria is a speaker and a writer from right here in Atlanta who just came out with a new book called It Is Written. It's a memoir about her life growing up after the tragedy of losing her father to cancer when she was eight years old. Adria has great stories, but she's also got this insight that comes from a place of depth and living through challenge and finding courage in the middle of it all. I learned so much from reading her book and from this conversation, and I know you will too. Before we get started, quick update. You may have heard that our big goal right now is to get listed on Apple's new and noteworthy page. And we're not there yet, but I did find out that we have about eight weeks from launch day to be considered new. That means we've got to hit this in the next six weeks, and I know we can do it. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share it with your friends. Let them know that this is going on, because I believe that we can all be our best selves when we are living courageously together. And I want this conversation to be a constant encouragement to do so. All right, here's my conversation with Adria. You are going to love this. Thank you so much for listening to Burn the Ships. Adria, how are you doing today? Jordan, great. Friday. You know, weekends kind of feel the same as the weeks, but it's every day is the same. Every day. Yesterday, literally, my sister was said, what day is it? And I'm like, it's Thursday. And she's like, it's not. It's really not. And we went back and forth for a hot second before we realized it really was Thursday. It really was Thursday. <laughs> yeah. You were in the actual debate about it. She's like, I think it's Wednesday. And I'm like, it's not. It's Thursday. It really. So that's just, that's where we're at right now. You did know? you hear the, did you hear the interview last week with uh, Blake Eason? Uh-uh. Uh, Which, so Blake, sorry. I'm, yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening sorry. to my <laughs> podcast. Glad I asked you on. Anyway, yeah. uh, no, Blake, uh, you know Blake? Yes. Blake's an awesome dude, and we were talking, and he's like, yeah, so anyway, I don't know where my life's going. We're here right now. It's March, and I just have all these things, and I was stopped <laughs> him. I was like, Blake, it is April, April. 16. <laughs> Well, I did have to today. I saw someone's Instagram stories about Mother's Day gifts. And I was like, please tell me Mother's Day isn't like Sunday. Like, when When is Mother? I don't know when Mother's Day is. May, I think it's like May 10th. So you got a little bit of time, but it's it's creeping up. But I did freak out for a second. I wouldn't have known when Mother's Day was if quarantine wasn't going on. I don't don't know. Um, So we're, we're big Mother's Day people around here. Hey, for people that don't know you, uh, I know you, but some people don't. Give us like a give us like a sixty second intro on Adria King. Wow. Okay, sixty seconds. Um, Twenty five, living in Atlanta. I am one of six kids, so three brothers and two sisters. Okay. All the boys start with J, and all the girls start with A. So that makes life Whoa. real interesting. Um, no, my big families are the best, and they're a lot of fun. Um, trying to think of what else. There's so much that I know we're going to talk about that I don't want to throw into the intro now. Um, well, let's read. start with my favorite one. Okay, okay. let's start with my favorite one. This is this I can I can help here. Uh, you know I'm I'm from a big family too. I've I'm one of five kids. Have we talked about that? I think so. Maybe I know that life. I know that life. Um, it's the best. It's awesome. It's so fun. 
You, my favorite thing about you is that you are the biggest Justin Bieber fan I've ever met in my entire life. And that's always my go-to when I'm giving a fun fact, but I knew it was coming, so I just waited. You have seen Justin Bieber perform live on how many continents? Um, All but two. (laughs) Continents. All but two. Yeah. So the United States, obviously. Obviously. Um, London, so Europe, South Africa, Australia, and Guatemala, so South America. So you went to all those places just because he was performing? Is that? I mean, yes or no. Uh, (laughs) It was the reason for going, but we always found like when we went to Australia, we stayed a whole week because it was my spring break kind of thing. So it's not like. So yes, but yeah. Have you met him? No. You okay? Wait a second. I will admit that I have written Ellen multiple times because I'm like, this is this is worth getting to be able to meet him to say. Oh yeah. Traveled. I did the math one time about like how many hours I've spent on a plane, and it was just so absurd that I. How much money have you spent on the beach? That's that's what I want to know. How much money have we? That is. That question is off limits for the podcast. Uh, I heard uh, the other day about an artist, and I think this is a pretty common practice, actually, um, that backstage at her shows, they have a, a, like a poster of her like stalkers, like of the people that stalk them. Oh, good. So like everyone knows to look out. Like if you see this guy, tell security, whatever. And I feel like you're on Bieber's poster. That's... <laughs> see, yes and no, because I really don't feel like I'm on his radar yet. Okay. He is doing this thing in quarantine where he randomly goes Instagram live with people. And I would be lying if I didn't say I have tried for hours on end. Oh my gosh. Would you just at die? This point, I just like at this point, I'm like, I deserve to meet him and I just want to meet him. So when I tell people I've traveled around the world to see him and they say, have you met him? It sounds way better to say yes than it does to say no. When you meet him, are you just done? Are you moving on to someone else? Or are you sticking with the beeps? Well, here's the thing. If we meet, we're for sure going to be friends. Like he's gonna want to be my friend. He's I mean, married, yes, so like that that whole that's off limits. He's happily married, but he's for sure gonna want to be my friend. So you and Haley would be friends. I've actually met Haley before. Really? Okay, Fun now fact, we're talking. You have an in. Yes. Um, I was at a conference in Miami, Boo Conference, which mm-hmm. is run by a big pastor down there, and was walking into the hotel with a. I have a friend who is like pretty involved in Boo Church and she was helping with the conference and was walking in and actually ran right into Haley. Like oh my full gosh. on. And I just was like, I'm so sorry. And you know, she's like, Oh, it's fine. And then when I realized like who it was, I just was like, Oh, that's and so I saw her again later that day, just like in passing, but it was kind of like a, yep, yeah, I'm the random girl who Bring into the hotel lobby, so we're not going to have another conversation. You've probably seen more of his shows than she has. All right, next. <laughs> One of my favorite things, other favorite things, is that you just wrote a book Come and on. released it called It Is Written. I read it. I love it. Uh, it was so fun. And I, I, yeah, I love the book. It's like your own personal journal yeah. of walking through so much. Tell us like a little thesis on the book. And what was it like to like finally get it out there? I feel like you worked on it for so long. Oh, for so long is right. Six years to be exact, which is wow. for anyone thinking about writing a book, that's not the normal, that's not the normal time frame. 
Um, so the book, I've practiced this elevator speech a lot. The whole premise of the book is I lost my dad at a really early age to pancreatic cancer. And the book is kind of just how do you navigate as a young girl growing up without an earthly father present and not in the context of here's a how to manual, but in the context of like a, here's how I kind of did it kind of thing. And with the hopes of hopefully people will just be encouraged that there's not a right and wrong way to do it, but also that Jesus so faithfully shows up and fills in those gaps. Um, so now that it's done, it feels great. <laughs> the, yeah. the end process felt better more than the actual process. So getting it across the finish line was like, felt like I'd run a marathon five times over. 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 I mean, you worked that you worked on it for a long time. We talk about it a lot about the process and yeah. it was, it was grueling. Um, yeah. Is the, is the release experience what you thought it'd be or is it not? Um, I'm going to be honest and say it is for me personally, it was very yeah. anticlimactic. Okay. Um, That's a common thing I've heard from people. It felt like this thing of the release day came and the big question was like, how do you feel? Does it feel amazing? Does it this, this, this? Mm-hmm. And I like felt bad that I didn't feel like giddy. And there was those moments of like, oh, it's here and it's real. But I was never like, oh my gosh, I'm on top of the world. And I think that a lot of creatives across the board can resonate with that because as a creative, you, it's not that release moment that matters the most to you. It's like the, like I enjoy the writing the most. So it kind of came and went and I just was like, oh, well, that's that. And even now, now that I'm done writing the book and it's here and exists and people are buying it, it's just way less, I feel like I'm way less attached to it now, Mm -hmm. honestly. Like, it's kind of like, okay, well, I did my part. My job was to write it and the rest kind of was its own separate part. So yeah, definitely doesn't live up to all the hype at all. Yeah. So it's way, way more about the process. It might be a personal preference, you know, like that could not be the case for someone else. But for me, it was, it was not this like walking on clouds experience. It was like a, honestly, like a big exhale of I did it and it's finished and it was super tough. So I'm just glad that it's over. Yeah, totally. Um, in a lot of ways, your book, which I, I love your book. I I told you, I read it. I'm not a young girl. Um, (laughs) and it was very clearly written for other girls. I felt like I was like, listen, like I snuck into like the girls small group or something was my my vibe the whole time. Um, which was like every high school boy's dream was to, in the youth group at least was to get in and figure out what they were talking about. Uh, no, but I really felt like I was like kind of reading the notes and learning it. Uh, I got a lot of empathy from that of just mm-hmm. hearing not only the girl's perspective, but your upbringing is so different, um, without your dad there from the time you were eight. Was that right? Yeah. Eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just like, yeah, the way that you consistently, um, showed courage and overcame adversity and, um, challenges from that is so inspiring. And I think it's uh, the way you shared that story and the way you wrote the book was a burn the ship moment that you chose. And in some ways, like the book was a burn the ship moment about 
a situation that you never asked for but had to walk through. Yep. How did it um how do you navigate that much change and that much challenge in your life and why write a book and go through more of it? Yeah. At the end of the at the end of the road. Yeah, and I think that that is why the book was so hard to write because I was choosing to basically relive it again. And mm. that is why I think the process took me so much longer because I was reflecting, but also was realizing a lot of what I wasn't probably super aware of in the moment. Um, you know, my dad died of cancer and now at 25, you hear the word cancer and you understand the weight that comes with that. But at eight, I don't think I could even fully comprehend what was happening or even in the months afterwards, like what death was going to look like, what grief was. I was eight. Like you think about when you were eight years old, sometimes I see kids and around that same age and I'm like, gosh, that's how little I was when I was trying to process this. And I think the only way that I recognized things were changing was that life just so drastically looked different than what it had before. And it's because my home life was just chaos. Um, in the sense of we had eight people in our home, now seven so seven of us whose world had just been all flipped upside down and grief manifested in so many different ways. And I think honestly, to an extent, I kind of just put my head down as a kid and pushed right on through and just didn't fully understand. But as I got older, I could start seeing the effects. And so honestly, I didn't have to write the book, but in a lot of ways I had to because I needed to understand you know, like you asked, how do you navigate that much change? I didn't know how I did it or mm. how did I do this or what did that look like? And it's just because I put my head down and said, I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other and keep kind of a low profile. Um, but then when I look back, I saw like, gosh, things drastically changed and change that fast affects you. And so writing it all out was kind of like a dang, that's what my world was. And I was, mm. couldn't even take that all in at one time. So then you try to put it and capture it's, you know, it's been 17 years into 50,000 words. It is extremely painful, but also almost like so freeing to be like, to acknowledge and then to say like, okay, but now how do I put my foot in front of, and one foot in front of the other now? Um, so I think if I'd have been at a different age, this would be a whole different conversation, but it was, I don't think I was really that aware of how much change was happening until you look back and you see like, gosh, I did have a ship burned down and by the grace of God, somehow we are here. But I think it's really important to recognize the effects of those quote unquote burn the ship moments, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, it's so interesting that it took writing a book to process a lot of it. Yeah, and it's crazy even so. I mean, it was a really um, beautiful slash scary process for my family to read the book. Um, mm. oh, I can't imagine. About, we, we've talked about that. And I think I actually, now that I said that, I we're re-recording this podcast, which we'll talk about later. But I kind of said like, hey, let's not, let's not go that direction. Um, still a very sensitive subject, but 
I will say there's been a lot of conversations of them saying, we didn't know that that's how you felt. And the only way I know how to respond is to say, I didn't either until I wrote it. Like it wasn't a personal, I don't want people to know. It was literally, I'm processing this as I write it. And it's been really beautiful moments of reconciliation. But I say all that to say of the book literally is me grieving and processing everything that I couldn't and hadn't done up until this point. Yeah. That's such a, that's such a powerful case for people writing things in general, even if you're not, you and I both write publicly uh, pretty often, but even if you don't ever show anybody, like just the fact that you are writing organizes your thoughts and feelings and helps you to process what the heck is going on. Totally. Yeah. I have, do you have that moment? I have the moment all the time where I write a sentence and I'm like, Whoa, I didn't know I felt that way. I, um, I've actually started doing a little bit more writing in quarantine right now. Cause I kind of, after you write a book, I'm like, we're done. We have no more words. And That's it. it's, it's just like you said, it's like, I have so many jumbled thoughts and I get to the end of writing something and I'm like, Oh, that makes sense now. So yes, writing is, and you don't have to be, you don't have to write a book to write. Like I'm such a big people just journal, just I don't know how to, I'm like, just write down what you're thinking. It doesn't have to make sense, but it'll help you make sense of it eventually. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're, it's never going to be good when it comes out. No, no one, no one's ever written a good draft. (laughs) And you, and you did see, if you saw when I got back my manuscript from an editor, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. Cause you're like, I thought this was good. Like I thought that I did pretty good. I edited it myself like one time through. And then you get it back from a professional and you're like, oh, wow, I actually know nothing about sentence structures or grammar. Like, or I am the worst. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but that's why they have people who do that. You just, if you have the idea, everything else can come together. I did that. Um, I don't know if I told you this. Like uh, two months ago, I wanted to get better at writing. And so I went online and I hired an editor and I oh. sent her my last year's worth of blogs. And I said, yeah, well, I just want you to deep dive into all of these and find the patterns. Like, what am oh, I consistently doing right, consistently doing idea. wrong? And uh, her name was Mary Beth. She was like like a 60-year-old woman in Seattle or something like that, which is what I wanted. I wanted someone that didn't know me at all. Right. And she like looked the part of the editor. I, I chose her solely on her profile picture. And she did. She spent like five hours with my writing and then just wrote me this big essay of like, hey, you should try this. You do a lot of this. This is kind of your tone. I don't know if you want to come off this way or don't. And yeah, seeing her edits, I was like, oh, I write like a kindergartner. That is <laughs> that is what yeah, I do. I, and this is nobody cares, but like my verb tense usage is awful. awful. Really? I get it oh, wrong. Man. 95% of the time. It's like, hey, you switch verb tenses. And I'm like, great, fix it for me. I don't care. <laughs> I love, I'll go back on mine and I'll, I'll see things that I wrote. And I just took this really, I always like go to the extreme. And I'm like, this is the claim. And if you aren't doing this, you're wrong. And I'll go back and read it and be like, that was, you're an idiot. Like, yeah. why did anyone read that? Yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great time to be alive as a writer. That or I'm super <laughs> moody. Yes. <laughs> Uh, you cut like, then you cut like 25,000 words out. So my first draft totally all the way through was like 82,000 words. And I, before I sent it off to an editor, cause if you don't know, you pay an editor based off word count. So there uh-huh. was no point in me sending 82,000 words when I know how to cut it. So I cut on my own 
and I got it down to 45,000. So it was literally just like, eh, this isn't that important. Copy, paste, delete. But as yeah. you know, as a writer, you can't just say, let me delete all these five paragraphs. If you have a thought that you're trying to link together. So that was hard, but um, just for fun. I mean, I have the full manuscript still on my computer and it's fun just to know like, there it is from start to finish. And uh, it definitely got better as we went along. There's an awesome story in your book um, that I love that I want you to to tell us about because I've told you it's my favorite part of the whole book. I think it's just an incredible story and it's just such a like clear depiction of your life and your situation that you never would have chosen being used in a really cool way. Um, and it's around this girl, her name. How do I pronounce her name? I I Hallie. got it wrong last. Hallie. Okay. Yeah. It's about this girl, Hallie. Will you will you like give us the the Sparknotes version of that chapter and tell me why it's been so significant? Because I think people really need to hear this. Yeah, this is it's one of my favorite stories. I think this is one of those stories that's like until you die, you just you tell people, and every time you tell people, it's so fun because people react the same way of just like it's crazy. Um, the book's actually dedicated to Hallie. Um, and I met Hallie, Hallie was in second grade and she was, I'm going to give you the very long story short. Basically she, I was serving at my church and she was in my tent and I just was super drawn to her and couldn't figure out why. Like, it's like that feeling of, you're like, I think I know that person, but I don't know how kind of moment. Mm -hmm. And, but she was eight years old. So I was like, this is so weird. And, um, Anyway, through a series of events, found out after having conversations with Hallie that Hallie's dad had died a couple months ago um, to when we met. So Hallie was eight and I, so it was a decade apart, but Hallie was the exact same age I was when my dad died. Hmm. Um, and what was, will you, will you share that line? The line she uses is incredible. The line she uses when we had that conversation. Yeah. yeah. I, she tells me, you know that her dad died earlier that year. And I just tell her, you know, like, Hallie, my, my dad died too. And as innocent as a kid could be, she just responded that she hates when that happens. She just was like, I hate when that happens. And oh man, it kind of caught me off guard, but I was like, gosh, that was so brutally honest. And I just was like, me too. And then yeah. she went back to what she was doing. And I thought about that for the rest of the day of just like, dang, she's right. Like I do hate when that happens. Um, so through various conversations, um, finally got to meet Hallie's mom and we just had a conversation and we're kind of sharing stories and come to find out Hallie's dad actually died the exact same day that my dad died, um, 10 years apart. So Man. it was like this moment of like, wait, you're telling me because when you lose someone, if anyone listening, you know, like you remember that day to a T. So it's like that date that is just engraved. So when you say it, you just, it's like, yes, of course. She asked me if I remember the day and I'm like, yes, of course. And so I said it and she just was like, that's the same day her husband passed away. And so it was this moment for me of, I don't know, just this like connecting of the dots of, why does this matter? And how is this going to be used? And just like down to the specific details of the Lord being like, Adria, not only have you been where she has been, but like, can you see that that's exactly where you were? Like, 
down to the day at the age and like look where you are now um and it just was like a visual of me for me to see God's faithfulness honestly of like and hopefully to be the same to Hallie's mom of hey I was where your daughter was but like I'm standing in front of you now I was 18 at the time and like I made it and she's gonna make it and so it was a really beautiful moment. I wrote a blog about it, got a lot of traction, ended up sharing the story at my church, which was amazing, which was also the first time I'd ever really public spoken, or I guess that's the correct language there, and ended up spending a year nannying for Hallie's family when they moved to Atlanta. And that's really where the idea of the book came from. Of I just mm. wanted to tell her all the things that I wish I had known about this journey and so I just started writing them for the intentions of only giving it to her, which side note, I think is the best way to create is to create not for the masses. It's like, I'm just writing this to write it for Hallie. Um, but the Lord kind of just started showing me along the way of, gosh, there's a lot of Hallie's. There's a lot of girls who have fathers who are absent, whether physically or spiritually or emotionally. And it just became so much bigger than I ever intended it to be. And it scared me a little bit, you know, of like, whoa, I, I didn't sign up for that, Lord. Um, but it was clear as day of I was just meeting people. I was having people reach out. If I would love for you to be able to have a conversation with so-and-so. And, -so. and I, as a human, I only have so much emotional capacity, you know, like I can't sit down with every girl who's lost their father, but I would love to have a resource to be able to say, this is what I would say to you. Um, and so we wrote the book. And Hallie has the book. Hallie knows the book is dedicated to her. Um, I don't know if she's read it yet. I now that we've been stuck in quarantine, I obviously haven't been able to see them at all. But how old I'm is really, she? She now she's in seventh grade, so she's thirteen. Okay. And I'm really excited about possible conversations that I'll get to have with her now that she has basically my whole journey written down. Um, it makes me excited just to see what that process will look like of talking about things that are in there or walking with her through very similar phases slash quote unquote chapters of the book. So it's a beautiful thing. And it will, like I said, it'll just be one of those things forever that Hallie is just, you know, hits you, hits you in your feels, man. It hits you. It does. I, I mean, I was, reading that chapter about the blubber um and i didn't and it's so funny because i don't know who knows or don't know so when you told me that you didn't know that story i was kind of like what do you mean you don't know the story about i've never that? heard it so yeah it's cool to think about people reading it for the first time and kind of just having their mind blown the way that um yeah the way that you were used in that situation and the way that you got to just leverage that experience that you had in your own depth and your own darkness for someone else um, to walk through is so cool. And like you said, you hinted at the, the fact that that was when you first publicly spoke or whatever the phrase is. Um, yeah. <laughs> Spoken, two speakers speaking, that can't whatever, figure out how yeah. to say yeah. that. What? It's fine. It's fine. And, uh, and then now, I mean, you speak pretty often. You've done a ton of speaking. That's how we met. We met. Yeah. Um, you, <laughs> you remember Jordan. that? You remember yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, we should tell that story. That's great. So, we met you and me, yeah. Um, in twenty, I don't know, sixteen, seventeen. Sure. Let's go with it. Yeah, something like that. You were uh, was part of a communicator workshop. Mm -hmm. We were training communicators. I was evaluating, and the kind of 
pinnacle of this whole thing was you delivered a talk, talk yeah in front of like three other people and they just gave you feedback and <laughs> you had one and I, how long was it supposed to be it was uh it was like 30 minutes or something 30 like that minutes. we had 30 minutes yeah and i think you went maybe seven stop okay it was at least 12 i mean maybe it was like maybe it was less than a minute i i blinked once it's funny though because i remember i remember what the talk was i remember the the content i remember wow like the room we were in because i was mortified that's because there wasn't much to remember right oh that's very true (laughs) no yeah that was i'm just kidding that was a good time that was a good time you and i remember thinking all right well Probably first step is to uh, get some more to go your whole time. You probably thought in that moment, this is the girl who's supposed to deliver the messages for the entire summer for our campers. Uh-huh. We hired her. We, we're paying her. We're yeah. paying her. And she can't do 12-minute talks every day. <laughs> but I tell you what, I mean, and we talked, I remember talking about it then, that you, you did a great job. You just went short. And you, um... Yeah, it felt like it was a moment for you of like, all right, I need to step into this thing. I need to like really uh, go head first into And it was funny because you remember you came at the end of that summer, I think like the last day actually of a session and you were just like, big difference. Big (laughs) Big difference. (laughs) I know. I was so excited to see it again uh, like months later. Yeah. Uh, It was so fun. And yeah and now you're speaking and the way that that part of your story has just been used and the way you've you've stepped into courageously getting on stage and saying hey this is who i am and i'm gonna teach you now um to all sorts of crowds is a courageous thing public speaking it terrifies people so the fact that you have done that uh let's do a quick quarantine speed round i want to know how your quarantine's going you ready this is just a little pause break get the wiggles out okay Best right. book you've read in quarantine, if you've uh, read a book in quarantine. I started all the Harry Potters for the first time. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So I'm so excited for here. you. Big time over here. Yep. I did that uh, two years ago. Oh, my gosh. You're going to love it. Which one are you on? So I'm only on the first one, so I guess that can't be my answer. I read Becoming Mrs. Lewis, which is the story of how is the love story of C.S. Lewis and his wife. Cool. And it is amazing. Okay, best movie or show of quarantine? Best movie. Um, just finished watching all the Lord of the Rings again for like the 19th million times. Oh, that's time. fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fun. Uh, what what snack do you eat when you're stressed about life? What snack? Popcorn has been my go-to these days. Oh, me too. Like weird, like I just want to eat popcorn. Really? Yep, I don't know what it is about it, but just that's just what I want. I wonder if that's a quarantine thing. I, I eat popcorn every night right now, and I don't know why. I don't know. I, it's, it's, a, it's a good a thing, though. Um, <laughs> oh, no. I wrote, I wrote one. I'm going to skip it okay, for, for your thing. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Sometimes I write things, and later on I think, that was a bad idea, Jordan. So there we go. Uh, one thing that's very interesting is we are re-recording this interview. You said that. Yep. Um, round two <laughs> for not because the first one was bad first one was great we had a good yeah. time we talked it was um, really moving and I was excited to get it out and then you had a big life change and asked to re-record I did specifically tell us about that yeah so I and weirdly enough I 
walked away from that first podcast recording just being like, it's just something just felt off. And like you said, it wasn't bad by any means, like felt great about the conversation, just kind of had this feeling of like, that just didn't feel like it. Um, didn't know why the reason was going to be until like three days later. Um, and that was because I actually lost my job, which was totally blindsided in quarantine and, it's funny, but not funny because we talked about that job in the first podcast of like, we did. Yeah. It's amazing. I love it. It felt like a burn the ship moment for me to take this job. It was really outside my wheelhouse, but then I loved it and et cetera, et cetera. And then my whole team got let go um, on April 1st, worst April fools ever. Justin Bieber, oh, also, man. Wait, pause. Justin Bieber also canceled his tour that day. Our paused it and so it just was a tragic day you know that was a tragic day for you it was it was a lot and um so i just i reached out to you and just said hey i think that we need to record it because it feels like so far from reality right now and i also think where i'm sitting right now will just resonate more and it just feels more honest you know so yeah we're back at it round two I feel, I mean, I know I could probably name 10 people right now who have lost their job because of COVID. Yeah. And it's really tough. How, how do you navigate that when in the, in the, let's talk in the burn the ship context, when someone else burns it for you, someone else says, Hey, your escape route is done. And you now have to step forward into uncertainty, into challenge, into a terrible job market. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, what do you, how do you navigate? when someone else kind of forces or another situation forces you into that? Yeah. I'll start by saying one, I'm still figuring that out. Um, you know, you, you hear these stories of burn the ship moments and they feel so like exhilarating when someone makes the decision to step out and say like, I'm going to do the thing. Um, but it's really different when you're on the other side of saying like the ship burned, but I was kind of pushed overboard and it's just, such a different feeling and when you I'm coming off the heels of I published my first book in February which was a massive burn the ship moment for me and it felt great and then two months later I'm at another burn the ship moment and it's not by choice and it is like okay well I can't navigate them the same way so how do I how do I do this and I'll say that it has not been pretty at times It's a lot of like, I'm a strong achiever, like classic, like three on the Enneagram. You ask people what they think my Enneagram is and everybody knows it's a three. Like I'm, I'm a got to get things done. Yeah. And so because this was not based on performance, this was not, you didn't do a good job. And so we can't keep you. It was because the economy is terrible right now. Like we can't afford to it like I, my brain couldn't even process that kind of defeat because I felt like I didn't have a say so in it. Like I couldn't have done more and I couldn't have done less. And I think when you're not careful and where I did find myself going was just becoming extremely bitter and angry of like, I like, Lord, why would you leave me here? You know, like, why would you give me a job that I loved that I really had to fight to get on board with? Um, no pun intended there of getting on board and now I don't have it. Like this makes no sense kind of thing. And it just opened up this huge basket of thoughts of like, what do you do when you feel like the Lord's asking you to be obedient and then you get there and you do it and it doesn't end the way that you thought it was going to end. Or 
you have a burn the ship moment and it doesn't lead to this like exhilarating, great story to tell on a podcast, but more so of like, I'm devastated and terrified of what my future is going to look like. And what I realized is that my biggest question that I needed to answer was how do I determine my success? And because I felt like I had failed because the burn the ship moment didn't end quote unquote Mm. good. Um, And it, I have had to come to realize that my success is not if the burn the ship moment leads to safety or quote unquote, you know, good, like this feels good. This is good. But did I stay obedient? And so I had to untangle this huge web of I lost my job and what are people going to think? And this, like I worked for an amazing company, so no one expected this. And now I have to tell people and it all came down to, I felt like I'd failed and have just seen when I've been so digging into the story of Abraham and Isaac, because that was like the Lord had asked Abraham to do something, but it came down to like, he just wanted to know if Abraham would do it kind of thing. There's a lot of context there that we don't have time to go into. Yeah. You wrote about this, right? I did. Yes. But I just felt like I resonated with Abraham so much because Abraham longed for a son so deeply. He got it. And then God asked him to give it up. And I was like, that's exactly how I feel right now of like, Lord, why would you leave me from one good thing to this? And I have learned of like, at the end of the day, it is just about if I'm willing to be obedient. And if I trusted God enough to take it, then I have to trust him enough to take it away. And that is hard. (laughs) That's like a, that's like one of those moments of like, I know this is what scripture says, but I'm a long ways from walking that out. Um, but I have learned that the only way that I combat against that bitterness and that like I'm angry and I don't know what to do is literally just submission to God's authority, which is also a really big thought like, whoa, you just kind of took us somewhere, but it's the truth. And it is me saying at the end of the day, my burn the ship moments are not about where they lead me to they're about, am I better because of it at the end? Like, Hmm. you know, like I think when I think about the word burn, I've started thinking about it. Like I think about sanctification and that sometimes feels like the Lord is setting you on fire, you know? Um, Yeah. That's not a, uh, it's not a pretty sight. No, it's not. And I think that that is, there's such a risk especially with a podcast like this, that's amazing for everyone to think that when we say burn the ship, it means, like I said, that it is this podcast worthy story that was, she was so courageous and she went for it and she did it. But I think at the end of the day is if, if there's a moment that I say God sanctified me through that, I think those are the burn the ship moments. And if you look back at life, you're like, dang, I had way more burn the ship moments than I even realized it just gets really tough when they feel so close together. And that's when you're like, Oh, I'm so vulnerable from the last one that we just were in. Yeah. And now we're here and it reveals this time for me has revealed a lot about like, what do I desire? Like what, 
why obviously I love my team that I'm on and there's that's a big part of this loss of like gosh I don't want to leave these people um but really seeing like why am I so why do I feel so defeated and depleted and ain't like literally just flat out like everybody gets on my nerves right now kind of thing and you get down that's to me that. every day but what I saw is that like when I really, really get down to it is it's because I make my entire life about me. Like it is so mm. like it, all of this has shown me that so often I make it about how comfortable can I be. And the moment that I feel not comfortable is the moment that I start getting frustrated with the Lord of like you did something wrong. And that's when I just have my mind has been blown about like it's not about me being comfortable. like. It's about me being sanctified and it's about me becoming more like Jesus. And sometimes that doesn't look like me choosing to jump off the ship. Sometimes it looks like the Lord being just like you told Abraham, like, I need you to go up the mountain and I need you to bind something to the altar. And I love the name of this podcast because it has like encouraged me. So of every day I realize I have to get up and what the first thing that I need to do to quote unquote burn the ship is I got to get, I got to deny my flesh and it's like that needs to burn and that need to get on board with the Lord's doing. And it just changes everything. But the reality is, is that it's so hard to get there. And I will by no means say that I'm there, but I'm aware of the disconnects. And so I don't know. I hope that just encourages someone today to know like, I'm not doing it perfect, but I'm also seeing the reasons why it's been so ugly. And it is just at the end of the day, getting down to saying like, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And trusting you doesn't mean that it's always going to be feel good slash comfortable and all the things it could mean. I'm sitting in the seat that I'm sitting in right now and it is not ideal by any means, but I don't want to just endure it. I want to embrace it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's i mean there's so much there's so much that's good in that and there's so much that people can take away whether they are in the same situation or not um but i love the thought of like okay it is it about me or is it not yeah that's that's um that's the main point of uh rick what's rick warren's book purpose driven life mm. uh that was such a big deal and it just starts with hey the, the thing that everyone in life needs to at some point accept is that it's not about me yeah. Because oh, if it right. is, if it's in my, it's about my success and my achievements and my talents and my fun and my relationships and my whatever, the day when they fail and they will. Yeah. What are you left with? Nothing. Yeah. And to hear you walking through that and saying, yeah, no, it's not about me is, I mean, it's yeah. gold. People, people need that. I need that. And I mean, I was reading and it was funny because, you know, sometimes like you read the Bible and you're like, oh, this is amazing. Sometimes I read it. I'm like, uh-uh, I do not want to have to live that way. Like that is yeah. just, but there's yeah, a that verse. that sounds like it sucks. <laughs> there's a verse in Psalm 79. It's verse nine. It's David writing. And I read this probably not too long after I lost my job. And I just was like, okay, so that's where I need to get to. But we are far from that. And he says, he writes in there and he says, Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone us from our sins for your name's sake. And I read that and I was like, here we are in quarantine. Everyone wants it to be over. Everyone wants things to go back to normal. But the fact that David paired on there 
for your namesake and for mm. the glory of your name, I just was like, oh my gosh, it is literally like, yes, I can ask the Lord for all these things, but the end of the day is what I desire for him to be glorified. And that might not mean by mm. me getting my job back. And I just was like, okay, that is, I don't know if I would have ever seen this if I hadn't gotten to where I'm at. So that changes your prayer life, man, of like, this is what I want. But at the end of the day, I want your glory to be, you know, what's made most. And I remember my mom told me she was praying the other day of just like, Lord, like, when is this all going to end? And she said, she just felt like she was reminded that he was like, when I say so, like literally Mm. when I say so. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay. All right. So (laughs) here we are. That's where we're at, huh? That's where we're at. But it's so true. It's like, yeah. We can ask the Lord for so many things, but gosh, I hope that I can get on board with David's faith and be like, but ultimately what I want is for you to be made most of and for you to receive the glory that is rightfully yours and for it to not be about me. And sometimes that means we get stripped of everything that we are making about us, you know? Right. (laughs) What, um, I want to land the plane here. Okay. You have walked through a ton we've talked about it today you have um yeah faced a lot of challenges you've had some really cool successes you've written a book which is cool and you had a great job and you lost your job like there's just so much your story has so much depth to it that a lot of people uh, at 25 don't have as you look back on all that and you look towards the future how do you define courage i love that um, that's a good filler. I love that. Let me, yeah. let me think for <laughs> you a second. Know people do that all the time. <laughs> people do. Oh, uh, yeah. That's, that's a great um, question. I need a second. And I'm actually thinking about one of my summers where I got to work as a communicator where we met. Um, we talked about not being afraid and like, what does it mean to not be afraid? And I started just digging around some of what I found was like, you know, you hear people all the time say like, just be brave, be brave. And that, when I hear that to me, it makes me feel like I got to feel like my shoulders are held back. My head is held high. I'm like ready to do the thing. And I got my game face on and that's not how I feel all the time. So like if, I, if that's not how I feel, then I don't want to feel guilty when all these people are like, just be brave, just be brave. And you're like, but I don't feel brave. And so to me, what I have tried to live in the headspace of is courage is saying, I'm going to do it anyway, even if I am afraid. Hmm. And it gives me permission to let emotions coexist, you know, of like, and what I mean by that is like where I'm sitting right now of I can be fully trusting the Lord's got me, but I can also be incredibly sad that this season is coming to an end. And I think courage is that space where when we define it in that way of like, it's saying, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other, but I'm not going to deny myself the way and the permission to feel what I feel, which is such God's grace is you just feel more empowered. You know, it's like sadness and goodness or you know this is ending and it's a good thing that it's ending and i'm sad that it's ending so i can grieve it or just i don't know it just feels like you give yourself so much permission to not feel like i gotta be ready to conquer the world but i'm still gonna say i'm gonna do this 
but it also might be painful. It also might be sad. It also might require me to grieve. I could be like shaking slightly in my boots because it is scary, but I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going for it no matter what. I'm going for it no matter what. But like even said, if even if I feel terrible about it. Yes, exactly. So it's like if you if you live there, I think people are more likely to do so many things because they feel like there's not this qualification of I got to know all the steps and all the, you know, secret weapons of how I'm going to get this done. I'm just like, I'm going to do it. And it might not look the way it looked for someone else, but it's just the fact that I'm going to do it. You know? Cool. Cool. I love that. And it goes back to that same idea of it's not about you. If it's about you, you're going to wait till the moment that you feel right doing something. Uh, But if there's a bigger story going on, if it's about something else, Mm -hmm. then even though you feel a certain way, you are going to take the action. Yep, that's it. And I think I think that's beautiful. I love that. Uh, Adria, this has been so fun for me. Second time around. Uh, first time was just a freebie, but <laughs> second time uh, around. And I'm so excited for people to hear your words because I think you really live this out and you demonstrate it in a way that so many people can connect with. And uh, yeah, you are courageous and you're doing courageous things even in the midst of a weird season. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's just cool to see. I'm inspired by it. People are going to be inspired by it. And I'm so appreciative that you are just jumping into this conversation. I think it's awesome. Thanks for having me. I promise I'm going to go listen to all the episodes. After the yeah, right. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> hey, if people want to find you. Look, I got a phone call. If people want to find you, um, they should buy your book. It is written. You can yep. get it on Amazon, right? Yep. They get should also Amazon. go to your website. AdriaKing.com. Yes. yes, right. AdriaKing.com. Your Instagram. AdriaKing. Make it simple for all the people. Man, so simple. Okay. I, love, well, I hate it when it's like my Twitter's this and my website's this. I'm like, just can it just be your name, please? So thankfully I have a pretty unique name, so it made it easy to make it all just this is what it is. I've DM'd the guy who has that Jordan Nations and offered to pay for it. He won't he won't budge. So <laughs> hey, you're lucky. Uh, everyone needs to go buy your book. I don't care who they are, if they're not a young girl grieving a loss they still need to buy it because that was me and i loved it um, and i just think that they'll benefit from it adria thanks so much for being a part of burn the ships yeah hey thanks so much for listening to burn the ships this was an awesome conversation with adria and if you enjoyed it as much as i did would you please just share it with a friend or subscribe to this podcast rate and review it on your podcast platform All of those things help so much. We have big goals and we want to get this conversation into as many years as possible because we know that it could be life-changing for so many people. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being here and being a part of Burn the Ships.